How many love his word today? Try that again. How many love his word today? Amen. Thank you. Make sure you were with me. I believe that the church is a people of God that we are who we are because of God and his word. Everything about our future and our present and what you're going through now is something in the word somewhere. Whatever you're going through right now, there's somewhere in the pages of his word that is for you. And I'm not saying that I always hit it and that I always, I always hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. I'm not saying that, I, but I believe sometimes I, I do hear. And I believe those times when I can hear is, is a blessing to me to know that some, <clears throat> some of us are walking through things today that only the, you and the Lord know about. And absolutely, you're in good hands. You're in the good hands. God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you. God has not withdrawn his, himself from you. We started a, a bit of studies in, in James. I'm always hesitant to preach on trials because if you preach on trials, you often get what you preach on. And so... <clears throat> It's been a pretty good week overall since I preached on trials, so I'm not complaining. But we don't have to look for trials. Do you? Trials come to us because we're in this life. Because we don't know all the details about tomorrow. What the first chapter we looked at dealt with a bit about the attitude that we ought to have in trials. You may not ever be able to change the circumstances of the trial. The only thing that you and I can change or make a difference is in our heart. How can I, res- how, how can I deal with this, Lord? How do I respond? And I don't say that every trial is actually one trial to compare to one. Your trial is important. To say, well, if you... I had a friend that would always top it. You know, if I said something and went wrong, well, he'd always have a he'd always have a story. That he would top it. Well, you th- if you if you think that's bad, how I many you know what I'm talking about? And so it kind of made you feel like, well, what should I be even worrying about? What should I even be stressing over? Because, but God is concerned about you and your feeling and your trial is important. So James one says, consider it all joy. Unbelievable. And the only way I can try to understand that verse is you have to read on, of course. The reason we can count it joy is because the next verse says that testing of our faith produces endurance. And we're just reviewing a bit here before we get to the next verses. In other words, I want to get stronger, Lord. Right? I want to be strong for you. 
but I don't like trials. I don't like testings. Who, who out there does? But the fact of the matter is, we will be tested. Because we live in a fallen world, because we live in a sinful world, there will be trials. Because we stand for God, because we choose to go on the path with him, we can expect sometimes there will be rebuttal. Or the enemy doesn't like it when you step out and say, God, here I am. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. Here I am. I'm pressing in with the Lord. And the enemy wants to drag you back. You see, the enemy knows what. He knows where the power is. And so we've got to push through it. We've got to push aside the enemy bringing stuff to us like, well, if you really love God, then things wouldn't be going wrong. You'll say something like that. The opposite is basically the opposite. If we love God, we can expect a bit of trials. All those who desire to live godly shall be persecuted. And if you think about the church that's really persecuted, the church that's on the other side of the world, and so, many of the, so much of the freedoms that we, they don't have, yet the church, the underground, so much in, has grown beyond uh, limitation. Why is that? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So whatever God is, is calling you to himself, he's calling you for a reason, he's strengthening you, is no doubt for yourself, but it's for others around you that will also need to be encouraged. Is it in the last days that Hebrews says that we are to uh, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, but all the more as you see the final days approaching? What does that tell us? That the final days are going to be days where we need to stick together. We need to pray one for another. We need to be in battle with, the, with prayer. And, and the battle oftentimes is, is, is finished when we bring it to the Lord and praise and worship. He's already, he's already won the battle. And we've got to get ourselves in that place where we can walk differently. We can walk not leaning on the arm of the flesh, not leaning on our own understanding. And so by the time we get down to verse 12, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There will be a reward for those who will stick to the stuff, to endure to the end, and go. I, 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 I want to go out with a, with, with, with a, on a strong point. I want to go out, so to speak, serving the Lord. Somehow uh, finishing strong. In a sense, not having given up and coasting, but actually pursuing God as, you, as when he calls us home. He's coming for a church who's looking for him.
And so you're ready as we go into verses 13 and on into this next portion of the chapter. We look at these verses. It kind of switches a little bit of the subject. It goes into verse 13 saying, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. God is not out there saying, well, I'll just throw this in, in before and see how my son or daughter reacts to this. No, you know whose job that is. That's the enemy. The devil does. God does not tempt us to sin. And there's a difference in the word test. God sometimes tests us to see our reactions. Each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Verse 14 helps me understand that the temptation itself is not the sin. But if I step toward it and begin to carry it out, you know, is he tempted and he's carried away and enticed by his own, it's the, old, the old nature doesn't like to go the way of God. The old man in me, which need to be crucified, and it says, crucified daily, Paul said, I die daily. I'm not saying that you're saved one moment, you're not saved the next. What I'm saying is, uh, we're walking in such a way. You know what it comes down to? That we're so busy seeking the Lord, that sin and temptation is it begins to be put in its place. We are not, none of us are exempt from falling. None of us have arrived. But there, I believe, is a place with God that there, there is no time for me or us to be basically fooling around, living on the edge or flirting with the world. And I say that not condemningly, but I say that to encourage us. Are we pursuing God? Are we pursuing the thing that I will guarantee when you're pursuing God that you will be able to knock down the things that would try to come against you? They do not take a foothold on you. They do not have, they may be, it says abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good and abhor, hate, abhor means hate. Hate what is evil. And so you begin to walk in such a way that <coughs> that is, you're close to the Lord. I, I had an illustration from, a, I remember from a Bible college setting, it was a chapel it was Jenny Mayo. She was a youth, national known youth speaker, pastor. Uh, spoke so uh, dynamically, but she would talk about the leash, the, the, the distance. Of, of if you're walking a dog, some dogs need a shorter leash. Some dogs can have a longer leash. When she talked about a leash, each one of us are called and when we come in relationship with the Lord, that God keeps us, he wants to keep us close to him. And when we go off the trail, we, he's there to tug. 
but he will not force us. But we have to make a decision. And this is where the verse comes in. We have a choice. God does not force us to love him or to say no to sin. You, you, you comes from within. And the good news is God is still working on me. He's still working on me. What maybe have been something of temptation uh, some time ago, a year that's getting less, it's falling off. God is severing it. God is getting rid of it. God is bringing me to another level. You see, the Lord knows when we go in the way of the sin that it hinders our prayer life and hinders our effectiveness. And every day we sin, basically we don't even know the sins of unknowing sins. Ain't you glad for grace? Listen, God is not angry only when we, when we sin and we say we have no sin. First John, if we say we have no sin, we say God's a liar. Well, that's pretty strong. Well, how do we deal with sin? We confess it. He gets rid of it. He wants us to be in a place of, of quick confession. Oh, Lord, forgive me what I just thought or said. I mean, that close. And so I call this verse, the verses, the process of sin. There's a process. The process starts with a temptation, a thought. And there's two kinds of death. Basically, when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought a uh, physical death. Now they will die. Because God said, when you eat of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. What does Satan say? Oh, you won't die. Right? Satan wants to convince people sin is okay. It doesn't matter. And God just confirms his word. He had the consequences, but yet you see God in his mercy going out looking for Adam and Eve. This is really it. Starts so right at the beginning. And we see how our human nature, Adam says, well, this woman you gave to me. She's the one, right? Guys love that. You know, Adam, you had to take a stand. You needed to say no. You needed to be the, the leader. Yeah, you did not. You gave in. And immediately their eyes were open. They fled. They ran. They were ashamed. They were felt. They felt guilty for the first time. They felt this this spiritual death of separation from their God. Like they couldn't see him anymore. That's the spiritual death. That is where many people are today in the world. They're not alive yet. And Paul says, I was dead in my sins and trespasses, Ephesians. But God. But God being rich in love and I am not here today 
just try to say that we're never going to be exempt from temptation. The truth of the matter is we will always in some way be tempted all the way. But here's what we do. We learn how to resist. We must learn how to fight, to resist the devil, and the devil will not make you do anything. I'm convinced we hear that in the world. The devil made me do it. I, I, what that's what that's saying. I'm not at fault. The devil puts it out there. You have a choice. You and I have to take. The, we have a will, and I believe God can help us. to make the best choices, to be the better, to choose the right path. I think about the children of Israel when they were facing a fiery furnace, right? The king Nebuchadnezzar said, well, we've got to, we're going to make an image and we're going to ask everyone to bow down, right? The children of Israel the young men said, we're not going to bow down. We're not going to go that way. Even if our God does not save us. Even if our God does not save us. Right from the beginning. They made up their mind before they ever got to the position of having to make a decision. They made up their mind, this is the way we're going to live. Thank God for people today that have made up their minds, that have taken their stand. This is the way we're going to live. They, were, they are the Joshua's of today. This is the way we're going to live. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve, we're going to serve the Lord because it is the best way to live. It will bring us to the place where we want to go. It will bring us into the glory. It will bring us into that sanctuary with God. And someday when we put on this new body, then we're never going to be, have to ever worry about sin ever, ever again. But until then, God has given you provision. He has given you armor. He's given you the weaponry. He has given you this word likened to a sword. When we use it, it cuts, it cuts, it cuts to the quick. In the book of Acts, the early church, and they begin to learn how to, how to preach the word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And many people and religious figures especially, they were cut to the quick. It says they were cut. They were, it affected them. Some of them accepted the truth, but many did not. But they didn't stop. They didn't stop. And if you just picked up a book last night, a reading. I've had this book for a long time, and I got, haven't got to it, but it's about Miriam and Calvin Olson who've been missionaries to Bangladesh forever. They've, Calvin has passed on now. But Miriam wrote the book, short, ver, short chapters. I love it because it's just a page or two, and it's a new chapter. But she talked about a story at one point, a week, and he kept 
feeling the Lord go down to the village, and he was receiving persecution. They were, they were uh, pushing him. They were calling him names. They were ready to kill him, so to speak. And at one point, and the last day of his fast, he was very weak. He was getting hard from the walk, but he said, Lord, he felt the Lord go down, go down and speak my truth. And he went down, and then the mob began to move in on him. And he thought in his mind, Miriam's not even going to be able to find me. They're going to they're going to do away with me, throw me somewhere, and she'll never. But at the same time, there was two tall figures, two tall men that became along his side and escorted him through the crowd, bumping and forcing uh, him out of that place and saved him. Only looking back, they had to have been two angels that God said, here's the deal. At such and such a time, there was a burden somebody had to pray in Pennsylvania at the same time that Calvin Olson was in danger. And this person prayed for two hours until they felt they're going to be okay. And it was exactly what was going on. You say God is working. God is always at work. He's using, he's looking for a heart. And who will be sensitive to this moving? Who will be sensitive enough to hear what the Lord is saying? James reminds us. Now, we have been bought with a, well, that's actually Corinthians, but we, we have business to do. The business of the church is to reach people that need Jesus. Yes, I understand there's a need for discipling. That all comes uh, through time and love, relationships, uh, small groups, however it happens. There's a whole host of people, all parts of our community, that do not have a clue of how much God really loves them and how much they need to come to the Lord. And so, as we read on in this chapter, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. What is that saying? If I will learn to hear the voice of God, if I will learn to wait until I give a quick answer versus something that I know wasn't really correct. Having control in such a way that we are slow to anger. Wow. It doesn't say we should never, we can never get angry. In fact, angry, angry being angry is, it can be sin, it can lead to sin, but not necessarily, being angry is not, I used to think be angry at all is sin. That's, I just don't want to be angry ever. But really, something we need to be angry about, and it comes 
the effects of sin. It should anger me that someone is getting hurt because of someone else's sinfulness. That should anger me. That should upset me. But I cannot, I cannot change the person myself. But I can wrestle with God and I can present and be the what I ought to be or speak the truth in love. When you're praying for people to come to Christ, part of the, part of the process is putting yourself in their shoes. How do they think? What is it that's holding them back? And then we can target those areas of its pride, if it's hurt, if they've been hurt, and some people will say, well, if that's the way the church is, I don't, and rightly, I can say rightly, they almost like they have that attitude. They're almost, they are right, but there's, there's a need for the church to be authentic, real. We are real people. We are real people with real faults and real needs, but we serve a real God. You see, but God, there it is again, but God, by the grace of God. You will never be able to earn. I cannot ever be good enough. I cannot ever outweigh my sin with my good to somehow earn my way to heaven. That don't work. God is the only way, Jesus Christ. So he says, putting all aside, well, first of all, the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The word implanted. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers. What, what a verse. What a verse. Doers. How will the people know? The Romans says, how will they know unless they hear? Right? Romans says also, how, how, will they, how will they hear unless someone goes? The missionary, the evangelist, the co-worker, you're going. Every, every time you step out, eh, you put... Uh, Get something from the marketplace. You're in the community. You, you're, you're going. You're doing. You're presenting yourself. It's an opportunity, proving yourself. I, I believe that the church is a, ought to be a church that's looking out inside the four walls. Look at... Look at Looking past to see the community. I believe the church will begin to see the whole state, the nation, and then the world. I believe that we are not just called to. Well, I'm saved. My family's saved, so I'm good. That's the, the beginning. They were actually called to. Go into all the worlds, making disciples. And so this part process 
of the sin, put it in its place. We say no to sin. We say yes to God. There's a better way. And then we put the word in our hearts so that we can actually have strength. By the way, First John says that the young man, he commented, you have overcome the enemy or the world because of the word of God is in you. You're strong. It tells me how we get strong is the word of God. And lastly, in this chapter, I pull out a thought of a pure heart, a pure heart. This is, this is where rubber meets the road. What are our motivations for what we do? Here, here's the best, one of the best verses to challenge us. Verse 27, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father visit orphans, widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. What is it about that verse? What can we learn from that verse? This is pure. There is no return. Listen, when you give to a need like an orphanage, or when you give to a need to a widow who has struggles to make a living, you don't expect anything in return. You give because it's to the Lord, as unto the Lord, God. This is, this is the motivation factor, and James gets into this a little bit later in the book. You ask, you do not ask. You don't have because you don't ask, but you ask, but you ask with wrong motive. He gets into this motivation thing. And it really comes down to what is it, why do we do what we do? What is it that gets us up in the morning? What is it? It's got to come from a relationship with God. When I'm seeking him, then I'm in the right place to be led by. I'm able to hear. Oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. It's not what I want to do. It's what he wants to do. Oh, it's kind of starting to click now. It's not what I can do. <clears throat> when I start to think what I can do, oh, my goodness. Just forget it. But what he can do, what he can do, opening yourself up. You are a child of God. He has plans. He has great plans for you and having a ministry. You are a minister. And listen. Ministry starts with you and God. You and God, you, you ministering to God. You are a minister when you learn to wait on God, worship him, worship him. You are ministering to God when you ask him for wisdom. You are ministering to God when you see someone who's in need and you touch and reach out to them. You're ministering to God. When you smile at someone that's going through a difficult time and try to encourage them, you're ministering to God. Who will go? Who will go to the lost? Who will go and love people. 
Hopefully it'll be you and I. Who will love the neighbor? Who will offer their names before the Lord when you drive by, if you know that family? It's a practice my pastor growing up under did. He said, I will pray for the neighbors. Oh, every person. He got to know every person in Aiken County at one time. He knew so many people. And he's in his 90s yet today preaching the gospel in the nursing home and the hospitals. They're leading people to Jesus Christ. Don't tell me there's retirement. With God, I don't see it. Oh, you can change. I think you can slow down, whatever. God is always going to be, if you have a breath and you have a life, we are still valuable. Are you ready? Are you ready to be led by his hand today? Are you ready to step in and say, Lord, have your way. What is your will? What is it that, where, where is it that you want me to go? Who is it you want me to pray for? We're going to be celebrating communion. When I say that, celebrating, we're celebrating the Lord's victory over death. Remember the verse said, sin produces death. Jesus <clears throat> conquered death. Let me say that. Jesus conquered death. You are going to live forever because Jesus conquered death. And in the verse uh, in Corinthians it says, the last enemy is death. The last. He's finished the work. He sealed the deal. And all he's asking is that we step in.